legendary librarian Jeannie Phillips is back on the podcast talking about what else but books. Not just any books, but how books can help educators unpack some of their privileges and connect with students. Joining her this time around is Jory Hurst, Vermont educator and six-time Green Mountain Book Awards committee member. They're discussing Renee Watson's Piecing Me Together and what they learned from the book about identity, racial microaggressions, and teaching around deficit theory here in Vermont. Enjoy. I'm Jeannie Phillips, and welcome to the 21st Century Classroom. We're here to talk books for educators, by educators, and with educators. Today I'm here with Jory Hurst, and we'll be talking about Piecing Me Together by Renee Watson. Thanks for joining me, Jory. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Um, Well, thanks so much for having me, Jeannie. I'm thrilled to be here. I love talking about books, especially young adult books. I am an educator and an avid reader. I'm not sure which should come first in order. (laughs) Um, And I have taught middle and high school, both in southern Vermont and up here in Burlington, um, in English and history. And I've also been a bookseller for many years of my life. And I also currently serve on on Vermont's Green Mountain Book Award Committee, which is our teen... uh, teen pleasure reading award list that the state comes out with every year. So, and this is my sixth year serving on that committee. So I spend a lot of my time reading young adult fiction. Great. We'll talk more about the Green Mountain Book Award um, a little bit later in the episode, but let's start with Piecing Me Together. Um, Could you give me just a brief summary, no spoilers, Okay. (laughs) uh, a little bit about our main character, our setting, and um, the big themes of this book? Yeah, I would love to. Um, So Piecing Me Together was on our GMBA list last year, and it's a book I loved and I'm so glad to see on this list. So this is a book from 2017, and the main character is a high school girl named Jade Butler. She lives in North Portland, um, and she has a full scholarship to a private sort of hoity-toity private school called St. Francis that she has a very long bus ride from North Portland to her school. Um, every day and it's uh, it's a school where not having much money is less likely than being a person of color and for Jade she is both of those things Um, she her mom is desperate for her to make close friends at the school but for her she just wants to kind of keep her head down and plow through and she she talks a lot about sort of knowing she has to take advantage of the opportunities in quotes that the school has to offer Jade is a lovely lovely character for many reasons, but um, she is a she's an artist, and she makes these beautiful collages from scraps of other people's trash, and we'll talk about that hopefully a little more today. Um, but um, sort of as this book begins, what's sort of an, a, a main point in the story is that Jade's guidance counselor, Mrs. Parker, um, sets her up with a mentor in this woman to woman sort of black black woman to black woman uh, mentoring program, and Jade. Uh, when she gets called into the guidance office, thinks she's about to get this scholarship for the study abroad program, and she's thrilled. And she finds out instead that she's been chosen to be a mentee, and she just feels like another thing where somebody is coming to help me. Like, do I really need all this help? Um, So that's sort of where the book begins, and it sort of follows her trying to figure out who who she is and how to feel more whole in her life as she's sort of collaging her own life together. That is a great summary. Thank you for uh, consolidating that so nicely. I think um, 
One of the reasons I loved this book so much is that um, as a white woman in the world, a book like this gives me the opportunity to step into the shoes of somebody very having a very different experience from my own. Um, and from the, I would say, the beginning of the second chapter, if you turn to page two, um, Jade is... Um, a is learning Spanish, really loves language, and I love the that she uses these Spanish words at the start. And I wonder if you could um, just get us started with that beginning of page um, two. Um, so the top of chapter two says in Spanish, tener éxito, which means to succeed. And the chapter begins with, when I learned the Spanish word for succeed, I thought it was kind of ironic that the word exit is embedded in it. Like the universe was telling me that in order for me to make something of this life, I'd have to leave home, my neighborhood, and my friends. Yeah, that exactly sums up like Jade's world's view that she has to leave the things that are familiar in order to make a success of herself. And her mom's dream for her really is to do just that. Mm. It makes me think about the, I think, something we both loved about this book is not only is Jade a really thoughtful, insightful character that gives, I think, both of us windows into other worlds, but she's also, the the writer, Renee Watson, is a beautiful writer, and it makes me think of another passage um, where she talks about feeling stuck in the middle. Um, so in this passage, she she's talking with a friend and feeling stuck between these two worlds, kind of like she she doesn't really quite fit anywhere. And her friend is saying, it's so weird, huh, being stuck in the middle. Like, sometimes I hold back at school, you know? Like, I don't ever join in on those, what are you doing this weekend conversations? Because I know nothing I will say can compare to the weekend excursions those girls at St. Francis go on. But I also don't want to talk about what I do at school with my family or with my friends who don't go to St. Francis. God, Jade, I don't know how you've done this for two years. And Jade responds, I don't either, but now that I have you, maybe these next two years won't be so bad. And so this is the beginning of her friendship with a with another girl in her school who is also bussing in from far away and on scholarship. Um, she happens to be a, a white student, but um, there's a, they have a really interesting friendship about sort of, they're like the two kids who get that like, this is this world of incredible privilege and no one else there seems to see that except for them. So they're they're in between places. I know a lot of um, students and adults in Vermont are reading The Hate You Give right now, and that really reminds me of Star's predicament as she code switches between her private school um, and speaks one way about certain things there and then goes home to her neighborhood and speaks a completely different way and about different things there. It's um, uh, Jade isn't, um, it's not exactly the same, but there's a lot of commonality with Star. And while we're on the topic of other books, this connects to um, another one that I think is really apt is Dear Martin, which is another book. In that case, it's a male protagonist um, who writes letters to Martin Luther King, but he is also a black student at a uh, pretend, uh, pretentious or sort of prestigious, <laughs> pretentious and prestigious university. And um, he's constantly trying to navigate where he fits and what it feels like most of the time is that he doesn't really fit anywhere. And I think, you know, for, I think a lot about for us in Vermont, there are increasingly more and more students for whom that experience is so true in our schools. And I think this book is so, uh, can just be really helpful to remind, I think especially for you and I as educators, especially as white educators in the state, but of how I think in this book and this sort of host of other things about how many of our students for race reasons or maybe just because of class are straddling multiple worlds 
um, and how difficult that that is for them. That makes me think of another place in which I think students can find some affinity with Jade, which is that her parents are not together. Mm -hmm. Um, Her mother had her at 16, uh, and her parents did not stay together. Um, And there's a quote on page 11 that I really love that captures that so beautifully. I think about this as I ride to school, how I am someone's answered prayer, but also someone's deferred dream. Jade's really talking about there is that her mother has put all of her hopes into Jade and Jade's success because she canceled her own plans to go to school because she got pregnant at 16. Her father, on the other hand, feels like he's living his best self because of his daughter, because of her, he feels like he's become a better person than he would be. And so there's this contradiction for her um, with her parents. And I feel like she carries a lot. And I have seen a lot of my students that I teach carry a lot um, from the expectations or the lived realities, the lived experiences of their parents. So one of the other really beautiful things I think about this book um, is the way Jade is able to talk about herself not always feeling whole. Um, and that is for due to lots of reasons, partially as a female and especially as a black female in her the world she lives in. Um, and she she has this way this explanation of it that I love when she talks about the spaces she feels whole and then the places that shatter her. Um, and so she says, listening to these mentors, I feel like I can prove the negative stereotypes about girls like me wrong, that I can and will do more, that I can be more. But when I leave, it happens again, the shattering. And this makes me wonder if a black girl's life is only about being stitched together and coming undone, being stitched together and coming undone. I wonder if there's ever a way for a girl like me to feel whole. I wonder if any of these women can answer that. That is such a beautiful passage, and it really, um, Renee Watson's beautiful prose really shines through there, mm-hmm. um, and the beautiful images she uses, it pulls us back to the title, Piecing Me Together, it pulls us to the collage art that Jade um, has such expertise in, and then just that central conflict of how to hold yourself whole in a world that doesn't see you as whole, that sees you as broken or as something that needs to be fixed. Yeah. Well, and I think about how many students I've had that feel broken in different ways, right? That there's this sense of there are many ways in which the world we live in shatter us. And I think for the, in this book specifically, but being a student of color in Vermont, I think can be a really shattering experience because especially if you're in a more rural area here, you may be one of very few students of color in your school. And so it feels really hard to have all those pieces of yourself honored. Right. This makes me think a little of the story this summer about um, the camp for um, students or for children of color in Stowe. Did you hear that story? Um, So uh, they brought a camp of students to Stowe and um, they experienced a lot of racism and um, racial slurs. And I think a lot of us were heartbroken by this experience and it makes me wonder about what our job is as educators to expose Vermont students who aren't who are white to stories of other people so they can see the humanity in others. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, one thing you and I have talked about is that this book does a really good job 
illustrating how microaggressions work for people of color. And I think, you know, this book is full of places where Jade experiences these little pricks, you know, like a microaggression is this little, it's a little comment that maybe is meant with good intention, but it just digs at her and it others her, right? She, she's constantly aware that she is other than the other kids at St. Francis or that she needs more help than other kids or more opportunity in quotes, right? And, and all of those things in little ways dehumanize her, right? And she has to work hard to hold on to her humanity. Um, There's an excellent example on page 18, if you could read that for us, Jory. Yeah, on page 18, she's talking with her guidance counselor, an older white woman, Mrs. Parker, right? And of course, Mrs. Parker has a photo on her wall of her daughter and her son-in-law, and her son-in-law happens to be a man of color, and so, and she has all her grandchildren are mixed race, and so in some ways, I think Mrs. Parker has the sense of like, oh, I get you, honey, right? That that Jade always feels like there's like a little bit of condescension there, right? Anyway, Mrs. Parker is is setting her up with a mentor, and Jade responds, Mrs. Parker, I don't need a mentor, Mrs. Parker responds, every young person could use a caring adult in her life. I have my mother, Jade says, and she thinks to herself, and my uncle and my dad, you think I don't have anyone else who cares about me? Mrs. Parker responds, no, no, that's not what I said. She clears her throat. We want to be as proactive as possible. And you know, well, statistics tell us that young people with your set of circumstances are, well, at risk for certain things. And we'd like to help you navigate through those circumstances. She takes a candy out of her jar and pops it into her mouth. This is a good opportunity for you, she says, right? So again, yet again, we have this moment where this caring adult with really good intentions, I like Mrs. Parker, she's trying her hardest, but she is in the process of trying to help Jade. The reader is very aware that she's actually putting Jade down, right? She's telling Jade, Jade's saying, my mom, I have my mom, I have all these caring adults. And she's like, no, no, but you need real role models as if to say your parents aren't going to help you get out, right? Um, Which adds insult to injury because what Jade really wants is to give, right? She doesn't want to always be the recipient. And so what she's hearing from Mrs. Parker is, oh, you, honey, you just get to receive. You don't have anything to give. And so these microaggressions, well-intentioned as Mrs. Parker may be, add up and send these, have real impact. Right, because um, what what Jade thought was going to happen when she went to Mrs. Parker's office was she was going to find out, um, and I'm going to quote from it, she says, um, Mrs. Parker, she's hoping has signed her up for a service learning project. Of everything Mrs. Parker has signed me up for, this one means the most, this service learning project, right? Jade thinks, this time it's not a programming offering something I need, but it's about what I can give, right? So she wants to be able to say, I don't just, like, I'm doing okay. Like, I want to give back. Right? And it's like we don't even let her, or the world is not even letting her give back. They're only seeing her need. right? Because, And the reality is Mrs. Parker, as a white woman, wants to be the giver because giving feels good. And it's like we're depriving Jade of this basic human need we have to help other people. right? And, and that she can only be helped, she can't help others. My educator self can't help but think um, about the way we talk about moving from a deficit lens, what's wrong with students, Mm -hmm. to a strengths lens about what what do they have that they're good at? What can they do well? What do they have to offer? And think about the power for Jade of Mrs. Parker shifting from this deficit lens to a strengths lens and what impact that would have. Yeah. I can I just talk about her mom? Yeah. Okay. So the one other place I think in the book where 
where it's really obvious how these microaggressions or these little digs are really affecting the characters are when Maxine, who is a seemingly more upper-class black woman from Portland, but who has been assigned as Jade's mentor, shows up at her house, right? And she hasn't contacted the, Jade's mom. She's just made plans through Jade, right? And so she comes to the house, but Jade's mom says, I'll answer the door. Good morning, she says. You must be Maxine. Mom has her hand on her hip, and she won't let Maxine through the door. I'm sorry you wasted your time and gas coming over here, but Jade is not going with you today. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I was hoping to do an early birthday celebration with her and spend some quality time together, Maxine says. Is she okay? Oh, she's fine, Mom says. I would just appreciate it if you would contact me first before you and Jade make plans. Jade is not grown. Believe it or not, she does have a mother. That's me. And then the mother goes on to say, please let this be the first and last time you try to take my daughter out of my house without my knowing and my permission. And I... I guess I love this scene because it's the mom saying, like, you might be her mentor, but you're not saving my daughter. Like, I'm the caregiver here. Still go through me. Like, at the end of the day, who's going to be left here? It's me, right? Mom says, at the end of the day, when this program is over, she's not going to be anyone's mentee, but she's still going to be my daughter. So just that, yeah, that... um For her mom, she's feeling all this hurt, like, I can't take care of my own kid, and that there's this sort of undoing of her own humanity and people making assumptions about what she's capable or not capable of. That's so intriguing because it falls to that strengths-based versus deficit-based approach. When um, people have all these stereotypes about people of of students of color, families of color, and um, families in poverty, and one of the stereotypes is that they don't care about education. And yet the data shows that actually they care about education a really a great deal. And I think for Jade, the biggest advocate for her for getting a good education is not Mrs. Parker, is not her teachers, it's her mother. Right. Her mother is working her butt off for her. Right? Her mother is working multiple jobs and, yeah, holding things together. And uh, we don't always, um, in this society, uh, uh, mothers like Jade's don't always get the respect and dignity that they deserve. Yeah, I think just another way Renee Watson creates a lot of whole-feeling characters in this book. Jory, how would you use this book in a language arts classroom or a humanities classroom in middle school or high school? Um, Well, first of all, I I love that this book um, is on the shorter side and yet so rich and full-feeling, right? Like there's so much here and yet it's not a super, super long book, which I think makes it, I find when I'm teaching books even to super loving reading classes, I actually prefer less text because it means that you can spend more time on other things. So one way that I think would be really fun to use this book in the classroom is to kind of do it in collaboration with some art and to talk about collaging and figuring out how students may want to piece themselves together. Um, And I want to just read one little quick part on um, Jade's philosophy on on finding beauty in the world and as sort of a jumping off point for how you might use this in art with your students. So Jade Jade says, Lots of people can't find beauty in my neighborhood, but I can. Ever since elementary school, I've been making beauty out of everyday things. Candy wrappers, pages of a newspaper, receipts, ripouts from magazines. I cut and tear, arrange and rearrange, and I glue them down, morphing them into something no one else thought they could be. Like me, I'm ordinary too. The only fancy thing about me is my name. There is nothing exquisite about my life. It's mine, though, so I'm going to make something out of it. And so this idea of taking all these ordinary things in our life and creating something that pieces together 
a representation of us. I think with an eighth or ninth grade student, which I think this book is perfect for sort of late middle school, early high school. Um, there's so much stuff around collaging and identity. But even from there, you could do so much around piecing yourself together in poetry or collecting word, you know, interviewing a bunch of your friends about who you are and then collaging their ideas of who you are and creating a, a written piece about who you are. You know, I think um, I think this book is really useful in getting at who each of us are, which is an, an added layer of beauty in this book. Um, but I also think on a very concrete level, this is a really powerful book for Vermont students to hear in terms of thinking about what do microaggressions look like. And it's for a student of color, for them maybe to feel like there's an allied voice or, you know, they may not resonate with Jade, but maybe there's another character in the book they do, or just sort of giving out other voices in the, in our students' lives so that they hear other, other people is a powerful tool for this book. And then as we talked about microaggressions, I think you could use this book really concretely to help kids define what it means for, um, when those little pokes at your humanity are constantly happening, that othering and what that looks like and feels like for a character. I think this would be a really safe space to do that in. So I, lots of ideas. Yeah. Do you have I, other ideas? What are well, you thinking? I love all of that. I think it really strongly connects with any identity work that's happening in the classroom, really powerfully connects with that. I also love it as an opportunity to look at um, sort of the way our, you know, we build our identity from the inside, but our identity is also how we uh, experience the world and how the world experiences us. And this book is a really um, great example of that. Jade has this rich inner life and knows who she is, but she also has to go out and face the world in ways. And she writes uh, in lots of different ways about how her body takes up space in the world and what that means. And um, But I'm wondering if there's also um, a connection to youth voice. I don't want to give any spoilers, mm -hmm. but there are powerful ways in which Jade finds her voice in this book and uses them um, within that mentoring program. And I, I wonder about using that as a springboard for how, how do the voices of our students show up at school? How do we make space for the things they think are, are important or the good ideas they have? Um, and so I'm curious about that as another uh, avenue for this text, for this book. Yeah, I love that idea. And again, no spoilers, but she does find some empowering ways to use her voice. Totally. Um, one other thought I just have, I would hate to read this book with a class where that may be make a student feel really obviously targeted to. Like, I think there needs to be just some thought about who's in your class and, and reading a book like this, because it is a story about a girl who feels like she's the only person with her perspective in the room. And um, I think if done sort of with good intentions, the book itself could be taught in a way that feels unsafe for a student in your room, um, where it's like, if there's one kid in the room who's aware that they're the sort of the othered one, that this book may actually be like, oh, well, now my teacher's picking a book to make me feel normal, but everybody knows who this book's for or something, you know, like that, right. that I think it doesn't mean it shouldn't be taught because I think it can be really powerful for everyone. But I can imagine, I'm just thinking about my sixth grade class last year and they were a little young for this book, but if I had done it with them, I might have only focused on identity and collage. You know, like I may have only used parts that felt really inclusive of everyone. I think that's really um, a good point. Like we want to be prepared for our students to encounter any book, right? It could be also, it could also be the case if you only have one student of color in your class that this book could feel... Um, 
that you'd want to do the work ahead of time to make sure everybody's comfortable and ready to experience this book and the discussions you're going to have. Um, I also think this book, I really loved The Hate You Give. Um, I really loved Dear Martin by Nick Stone as well. Um, but in both of those books, the people of color in those books experience police brutality. I like this book because they don't. Like that the, the both the racism is more subtle in this book. It, it comes in the form of microaggressions and deficit thinking. Um, but also it doesn't make that, that doesn't become the only experience of people of color is that someone they know gets shot. I like this as an alternative story to that. Yeah, Any no, I totally, I totally agree because we are seeing a real trend in um, young adult fiction right now about police violence, which is, but, but, and that's powerful. You know, I'm thinking about All American Boys, which came out last year or this year. Tyler Johnson was here as a brand new one that I'm just reading. Um, and they're really powerful, important stories, but there are a lot of other stories about being a person of color. So I think you're right that. I appreciate that this book doesn't feel like it has to have it all. Like it doesn't have every issue, you know. Mm-hmm. It, there's a there's a calmness and a quietness to this book too, which I appreciate. Let's talk about some other books it puts us in mind of. For me, it brought up um, Jacqueline Woodson's Brown Girl Dreaming, a beautiful um, memoir um, that was a, a Vermont Reads book a couple of years ago. Are there other books besides uh, Jacqueline Woodson's Brown Girl Dreaming that you um, that you that came to mind when you were reading this book? Well, we've already talked about Angie Thomas's uh, The Hate You Give, which is a really you know it's being read a ton, and libraries are buying tons of copies of, which is great. Although it's also banned in some places, so it's been getting a lot of attention. Um, this book also, though, reminded me of an older book um, called *The Skin I'm In* by Sharon Flake, which is another book about um, being othered and what it feels like to be other and to have an adult in your life who feels who might feel the same otherness you do. Um, that I read actually as a middle schooler, and I've taught in middle school, and have found it to be a really powerful book to this day. It's one. It's an old oldie but goodie <laughs> to keep around. Excellent. I also just read um, Jacqueline Woodson's Harbor Me, which is for a younger audience, but I think speaks to some of these other themes about um, feeling other because of your family circumstances and um, creating a safe harbor, a safe space uh, for students to be themselves. So I think that's another uh, great connection for the fifth and sixth grade um, classroom. Yeah, and I'm just thinking about, you know, it's a little bit of a jump from here, but one of the things that's been really exciting about serving on Green Mountain Book Award over the last six years has been seeing the huge increase in um, authors of color writing about um, writing characters of color. And, um, you know, there's been a big movement, the, the hashtag we need diverse books movement has really, I think, been a, had a real impact on publishers um, and in a way that maybe Hollywood has been slower to respond. I think, in, especially in young adult fiction, we're seeing this just huge increase. I'm thinking about two books. I'm, I'm just reading one, American Panda by Gloria Chow, which I read a few weeks ago, and I'm um, just finishing up a book called uh, Emergency Contact by Mary H.K. Choi, which I'm loving. And both are young adult novels with um, Asian American characters written by Asian American female authors. And uh, just I'm seeing the volume of authors of color I'm seeing feels exciting. All of us this year have been like, wow, like this feels exciting. We're in this moment where we're finally hearing 
just the a, a broader range of voices to represent our country. So, and it feels, I think, especially in these political moments, for us, it's feeling exciting to feel like there's some hope out in the world. Some good is happening in the world of stories. Yeah, story is powerful. Tell me about the Green Mountain Book Award, or what we often call the GMBA Award. Yeah, so um, GMBA is uh, Vermont's Reader's Choice Award for high school students in the state. It's um, We select a, a list of about 15 books every year, and they are meant to be books that are for uh, high school students in Vermont to enjoy. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the books that piecing me together that Renee Watson's beautiful book uh, shared the list with for this year. So um, the 2018-2019 list includes some of my favorite books, um, such as Robin Benway's Far From the Tree, which is a story of three um, three children who um, have all been either adopted or in the foster care system that didn't know they had siblings and they sort of find each other. And it's a really beautiful, beautiful book. It was also a National Book Award winner from last year. Um, Another book that was fun and sort of different for me was um, David Elliott's Bull, which is a novel in verse retold about um, a bunch of different Greek Greek myths. And they are, it's witty and hysterically funny and also, yeah, just sort of pithy. a couple other ones that were really highlights from last year were um, S.F. Henson's The Devil's Within, which I think for Vermont high school students is a really important book. It's a fictional account of um, a teenager trapped in a white supremacy group, um, and, and they get out and how what that looks like. And it's a terrifying, page-turning, harrowing book. You've read it, Jeannie. I read it. It's so gripping and so informative. Um, yeah. It's a powerful book. Yeah, another great one to do with a class or just hand a teen to read on their own. Um, and then another one that I really loved from last year was a nonfiction title, The 57 Bus, um, which is the story of a, a um, transgender student who is uh, lit on fire on a public, the number 57 bus, a public bus in California, and all that transpires, uh, they survive, but all that transpires afterward with the the accuser or the accused and the victim um, is a really powerful, powerful true story. So yeah, lots of lots of things and a whole mix of mix of stuff from last year's list. Uh, the 57 bus would have been perfect, Dory, when we used to teach together. We could have taught that as a part of your uh, juvenile justice unit. Yeah, and it also would have fit really well with my narrative nonfiction because I am a huge fan of nonfiction that feels like a story where you still get to really like be a page-turning, gripping reader in the midst of nonfiction. So yeah, you're right. We could have tied that in in lots of good ways. If you go to the Vermont Department of Libraries, um, the list, the 2018-19 list is there as well as all the previous, this is the 11th year, but the previous 10 years of lists. And there is just awesome books on there. We work really hard to pick a mix of things that we love, but also things that maybe haven't been given much voice and that you know need a little trumpeting. I have always found when I was a librarian and I collaborated uh, with a, a high school language arts teacher, we would give kids choice uh, from the GMB- GMBA list and for their one book a year. So they weren't reading Shakespeare and they weren't reading um, what was in the canon, but they had some choice. And it was always their favorite book of the year. It was mm-hmm. always huge. We did it for years because they loved they loved it so much and the teacher um, saw the value of it as well. So, um, But I want to ask... Uh, a lot of middle school kids read these books. So how, how does GMBA work? It's supposed to be high school. Can middle school kids vote? 
What do you say about middle school participation in this program? Yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of people are very familiar in Vermont with the DCF list, the Dorothy Canfield uh, Fisher list, which is also a Reader's Choice Award. And it's really meant, you know, DCF is meant to go from grades three or four through eight eighth grade. And so GMBA was created as the high school equivalent. But what we've really seen and learned is that most students, by the time they're in eighth for sure, but even seventh, are really ready for older books. And so we're pretty aware of that on GMBA. We do consciously choose books that will appeal to high school students, but we know younger readers will read them. And so part of how we've accommodated for that is that um, come usually around end of March, we open up voting, and it's online through the Department of Libraries. There's a link to how you kids can vote, and it's an individual. Every kid can fill out their own individual voting form, um, and there's a way to check that you are not in either ninth through 12th grade. You know, you can say you're a middle school student, or you could say you're a college or older student, because we know actually a lot of college kids also read these. Um, so uh, yeah, we welcome middle school kids reading them, although we will say, you know, some of the content in these books is hard. Um, piecing me together actually is one I would pretty happily hand to a middle schooler but you know like The Devil's Within is a really hard book about white supremacy I would we we, there's a reason we say 9 through 12 but we also know middle schoolers are always looking to edge up (laughs) so well put well put any other thoughts on GMBA or on piecing me together this beautiful book by Renee Watson I guess my final, yeah, my final thought on on this book, NGMBA, is just that I feel really grateful to get to read um, young adult books as an adult because every time I do, I am reminded a little bit more of what it's like to be a teenager. And we have this funny world where, you know, people who write for young adults and people who recommend, like you and I recommend books for young adults, are adults. But there's this um, powerful thing that happens in YA where it's often, and Piecing Me Together is a great example of, it's really, uh, there are stories often about someone really trying to figure out who they are. And I think as an adult, as someone in my early 30s who is constantly trying to figure out who I really am, that these stories really resonate because the reality is, it may happen for us for our first time in a powerful way when we're 16 or 17. That's my first memory of really piecing myself together. But that about every five years, I'm doing it again. So I sort of appreciate that these books remind me of just how difficult it is to, to feel whole in a world that's complicated. I strongly believe that reading young adult and middle grades literature makes me a more empathetic educator, helps me understand my, my students, the young people in my lives better. I feel the same way. Yeah. And myself, and I understand myself better. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Tori, so much for taking the time to come and talk to us about um, piecing me together. Folks, if you want a copy, I'm quite certain your high school librarian or middle school librarian can get you one if they don't have one on the shelf. So check out your local library, your school library, find a copy of Renee Watson's Piecing Me Together. Uh, You won't regret it. Jory, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me, Jeannie. Talking about young adult literature is my best life. (laughs) (laughs) The 21st Century Classroom is the podcast of the Tarrant Institute for Innovative Education at the University of Vermont. A huge thank you to Jory Hurst for appearing on this episode. If you're interested in finding out more about the Green Mountain Book Awards, visit libraries.vermont.com. Also, a quick shout out to the Carpenter Karst Library in Hinesburg 
for loaning our editor a reference copy of Piecing Me Together on extremely short notice. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and the Google Play Store. Music for this episode is by Argofox, Maison and Yiflex Sunrise, used with permission.